Father, we have sung so many songs that reveal our hearts this morning to you. We thank you that you know us even as we are. We're so thankful for the Lamb and the blood that was shed for us. So in this Thanksgiving week, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify your most holy name. Because we know, Lord, you are worthy of that. I pray for each person here as we look into your word that your spirit would touch them, that your message would come through, and that most of all, Lord, you would be lifted up. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. If it seemed a bit sanguine in terms of the last few songs, that was on purpose. I'm going to talk to you about lament this morning. Kind of a heavy subject. Before I go there, though, I want to reflect about a year ago. I was standing before you speaking on Thanksgiving. And I hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful time. It's my favorite holiday. It has roots. And really and truthfully, when you think about its roots, especially in our country, Thanksgiving and lament go together. In fact, the first official call for a day of Thanksgiving in the United States was issued by the Continental Congress in 1777 during the Revolutionary War. And it enjoined Americans to offer both thanks and prayers of repentance to God. Quote from the resolution, that together with sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins. And then 12 years later, George Washington, first year of his presidency, set forth a Thanksgiving proclamation. He didn't make it official, officially a holiday. That was Lincoln's doing. But he also called for a day of united prayer for America. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks. And then he adds, and also that we may then unite in most humbling offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions. And then in the midst of the Civil War in 1863, Abraham Lincoln, persuaded by a 74-year-old woman who had been trying to persuade presidents up to that point in time to have a national day of thanksgiving, Lincoln was persuaded. If you study anything about Lincoln, and I'm not trying to give a history piece here, although it is history and it is important, but if you study Lincoln, it seems like he had a, an experience during the Civil War. And if you read his second inaugural address, it's just straight out of Scripture, and his heart is so bent toward God. It's unbelievable. Do that sometime. Read the second inaugural address. So he issues forth 
Thanksgiving as a national holiday in 1863. And in it, he calls for the nation to offer prayers with humble penitence for a national perverseness and disobedience, especially praying for the widows and orphans of the Civil War. In the following year's proclamation, Lincoln again called Americans to reverently humble themselves in the dust and from thence offer up penitent and fervent prayers and supplications to the great disposer of events for return of the inestimable blessings of peace, union, and harmony throughout the land. I think thanksgiving and penitence go together. And so as I embark on this message this morning on lament, I'm thankful, so thankful that a year ago had surgery, came through it, your prayers, all the support in the last year, and this fall I was able to referee soccer. I just wanted to see if I could do it, and I could do it, so praise the Lord for that, yeah. We were playing soccer the other day, that was awesome. Lament, to cry out in pain, to grieve, to mourn, to be gratefully disturbed. I don't think of it in that way, but you'll see as we read Psalm 38, David was greatly disturbed because there seems to be no answer. It is not always or even necessarily a spiritual matter. We lament for many reasons personal, national tragedy. I remember being 10 years old when President Kennedy was shot and killed. And as a boy, as a little Catholic boy, he was the first Catholic president. I lamented all weekend. I remember weeping before the black and white TV that I was watching his funeral. And then his little boy put his hand on his heart. I still remember it. The loss of a loved one or a friend or someone famous, even the loss of an animal, Looked at Facebook this morning, a friend of mine, colleague here, lost his cat, 18 years. I'm sure he's lamenting. I had another colleague years ago who took a personal day just to to lament for the death of his dog. So lamenting isn't necessarily a spiritual thing, but it's a human thing, isn't it? Bad news regarding our health or our financial status, loss of a job or even a fortune. But lament. And loss of a loved one is probably the most significant lament, isn't it? Do you know, in ancient days, they hired professional mourners, the Chinese, the Greek, the Romans, people to wail. There was a certain cadence and a certain tone that they knew about. I thought that was over and done with. And then I found out uh, jogmonkey.com says, it is a job that is growing in popularity. Actors who are hired play a role, play a person. I don't know if one of the purposes is to, uh, to increase the popularity of the deceased. No, I'm not making this up. In fact, the UK has a site, Rent a Mourner. Yeah. I don't want to talk about, about all that. Just an introduction. I want to talk about what the Bible has to say about lament. What the Bible teaches about mourning. And believe it or not, one could develop a doctrine of lament, a theology of lament. I thought about that as I embarked on this. And the, the reason I'm sharing with you is uh, because of Mike. Uh, 
I kept talking to Mike about lament for probably a year and a half. And finally, Mike said, well, why don't you preach about it, brother? So here it is. Good challenge. One whole book in the Bible is about lament. Anyone know that book? Lamentations. Yeah, five chapters. So I'm going to put up a quote from Michael Card up here. And I want you to interact with this. I'm going to read it out loud. And then I'm going to give you a minute or two to think about it and then talk to each other. I, I'm a little unorthodox when it comes to preaching, so you know, don't worry about that. Just a minute or two. I don't have that much time. But. So it seems to me that we do not need to be taught how to lament since we have so many models in Scripture. What we need is simply the assurance that it's okay to lament. We all carry deep within ourselves a pressurized reservoir of tears. It takes only the right key at the right time to unlock them. In God's perfect time, these tears can be released to form a healing flood. That's the beauty and mystery of the prayer of lament. Just pause. Think about that statement. Several layers to it. I'm going to pretend we're in a classroom, and I'm going to say to you, talk to your neighbor, talk to the person next to you, buzz a little about it. Do you, do you agree with that? I disagree with parts of it, but what do you think? Do we need to learn to lament, or do we already know how? Now, if this was a true class, I'd have five or seven of you give forth your ideas, but you're going to have to keep them to yourselves because I've got to move on. But I disagree with Michael in one sense. He is equating lament with tears. And I think tears can come when we lament, but I don't think it's necessary to you. Just a question, just a thought. Sometimes I lament and, and I weep. Uh, I did that in preparation for this message. I was looking at a young man, Nabil Karishi. I don't know if you know Nabil. He wrote a book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And he, it's a beautiful brother who got saved in about 2005. He's a Pakistani, was a Pakistani. Uh, his parents came from Pakistan and uh, Oh my, can you imagine the lament when he came to Jesus? The lament in his heart because his, his family just shunned him for a good while. They made peace with him eventually. Anyway, the long and short of the story is Nabil was uh, going around with Ravi Zacharias' ministry and preaching and he was in Oxford. He was doing a PhD in Oxford actually and he was in Cornell and he was all over. He was just on fire for God. And then he was in Oxford and doing his PhD and he had this little girl and his life was just lighting up and then he got stomach cancer and was gone. 2017. I wept. I lamented. But then I rejoiced 
because his ministry is all over YouTube, Nabil Karishi, just look him up. Messages all over the place. He's debated every which kind of person. And God is still continuing to use his ministry. I want us to turn to the scriptures and read an extended portion of a lament. It's Psalm 38. It's David's lament. The Psalms, his longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, not the longest word-wise. I think Isaiah is that. Somebody fact-check me on that sometime. Uh, But it's got 150 chapters. Out of those 150 chapters, 46 of those Psalms are lament Psalms. Actually, probably more than that. Some think a third of the Psalms are lament Psalms. A number of others are lament Psalms in a corporate way. Uh, The 42 are personal lament psalms, and this is a personal lament. Let's read it. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Oh, Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. I'm going to jump down to verse 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me. When my foot slips, for I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Now watch how he resolves this. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, my salvation. I could probably stop right now, couldn't I? You know what lament is. It's the deep yearning of the soul that feels pain for one reason or or another. In this case, for David, it's sin. Now, we don't know the context. The, The title of this psalm doesn't give us really any context. I see this linked up with Psalm 51, if you know Psalm 51, which is a beautiful psalm of lament, uh, a more joyous psalm than this is. And here's an encouraging thing. The psalms of lament always resolve, just like David did. Oh, Lord, make haste. Oh, God, you are my salvation, except one. And I didn't know this until last week. Listening to Tim Keller preach a sermon on Psalm 88. 
And Psalm 88 is this psalm of lament. It goes all the way to the end. And at the very end it says, And darkness is my friend. No resolve. Seems strange. And Keller pointed out, at least in his interpretation and application, that that's important. That God left one psalm unresolved. And what he said was, sometimes darkness can last a long time in a Christian's life. Darkness can last a long time in a Christian's life. And I thought, yeah, you're right. Now, I've not experienced that, although I've had times of it, maybe months, but for some people, maybe years. And Keller said, and I agree with him, there's nothing wrong with that. Darkness is part of our experience. But I like the rest of the Psalms, those lament Psalms that resolve, because we have hope, we have strength. Now I'm going to lead us to another kind of long passage, Nehemiah 1, and see a different slant on lament. Psalm 38 was very personal. Did you, did you detect that? It was David. He, he, he felt it in his body. Didn't it? Have you ever felt sin that close, that deeply? You know, what, what I'm going to tell you at the end of this message is we can't stay there and lament. All right? We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we're going to get to the comfort part of this. I really should do this in two messages, but that's all right. I'll do it in one, and we'll get it over and done with, and we, have, we won't have to lament another Sunday. So. But did you see the pain in, in, in David's life? He felt sin deeply, and that's part of the application of all this. We need to feel sin deeply down to the very core of our being, not because we want to focus on sin, but because we know a holy God who we have grieved and we have sinned against. That's what David said, didn't he, in Psalm 51? Against you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, Nehemiah, his lament is over his nation. And so the context of it is uh, Israel has been taken to Babylon, 586 B.C. Jerusalem was destroyed, and things are not good in Babylon. But people are beginning to come back. And Nehemiah finds out about this. Let's read. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now watch Nehemiah's response. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And and by the way, just, just an aside... We in the West um, mourn a lot less than those in the East. Uh, there, there's a week of mourning 
in some places. And there's wailing, and there's uh, just a true deep mourning. We, we kind of, you know, we get it over and done with. And that's okay, too. We're Western. Uh, but I just want to let you know that, and that's, that's the background of this. For, for days, it says. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive. This is lament. This is crying out to God. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Do you pick this up? It's not Nehemiah sinning, but he feels part of the sin culture of Israel, the history of Israel. He aligns himself with that. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you've commanded your servant Moses. Remember the Lord the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them, bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he's talking about the king. Now notice, lament isn't just crying out, and that's part of it. And you and I need to be comfortable. I think Michael Card is right. We need the permission to lament. We're Americans, we're tough. We're rugged, we're individuals. I teach American history. That's the whole history of going out west, right? But there's a sense in which we as humans need to practice this discipline, this crying out. But lament also leads to, Lord, I want action. I want you to resolve this. I want you to come and be with me. I want you to help me, David says, O oh God of my salvation. You hear a lot around here that life is a journey. You hear it out in the world too. Well, the Bible could be seen as a journey, right? Think about it. Begins in a garden, ends up in a new heavens and new earth. The Gospels are Jesus' travel law, where he's been, all the places he goes to, and what he does. And you remember last week when Tim was sharing from Romans chapter 8 and then Galatians, walk in the Spirit. That walk metaphor is part of the teaching of the New Testament. Part of our journey as we go on in our Christian lives is how we deal with sin. We forsake it, we repent of it, we confess it, we battle with it. And what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that part of that discipline, part of that experience that we should have is lamenting. 
I want to suggest that the greatest lament that we can learn is to lament over our sin. Think about the greatest lament of all time. Just think for a second. What was it? Psalm 22 and verse 1. Jesus hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A great, great lament. I don't know if it's in the Hebrew or the Aramaic. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. They thought he was calling for Elijah. They didn't know exactly what he was saying. He was saying, oh, my father, who I'm so connected with, this, this weight of sin upon me at this moment, it seems as if I'm not connected to you. He was. And that whole verse and that whole concept is hard for us to understand. But that is the greatest lament of all times. Jesus hanging on the cross. And so if our Savior can lament, and he lamented other times also, I think we need to incorporate it into our lives. Why? Because of what Tim was talking about two weeks ago, Romans 7. Because of sin, it permeates our very being. We don't even know all the places that it, that it is. It gets in one room, but it's like, it's, I was thinking of this last night, it's like dust and ash. You know, I go underneath my bed every once in a while. Oh my goodness, these dust balls there. How do they get there, you know? It's just ugly. Like, I, gotta get, I don't even want to touch it. Ooh, I do eventually dust all over the house and I have a wood stove so ash shows up in places that's the way sin is isn't it it goes everywhere and so how do we deal with that sin I, I think one way that will make us better believers is to learn to lament over our sin our whole lives we're trying to get to holiness, right? We got sin, but we're trying to get to holiness. It's all revolved around self. Remember Mike's message on self-focus? Self, me. But we want to get to God. That's our goal. It's all about separation. It happened in the garden. It happens every time you and I sin. There's a separation. No, we're not going to lose our salvation because we're his. But our relationship with him is blocked. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that for a long time? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're cold toward God. Sin has separated you and your relationship with him. And it's just so hard and you, don't, you can't even find a way, it seems. Well, the way is a lament. Let's turn to Matthew 5. Just two more verses, two, or two more sections of Scripture, and they're both from the New Testament. Because you might say, well, lament is the Old Testament. New Testament doesn't talk about it. I think it does. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
This is the first public teaching of Jesus. Why would he start out this way? Because I think this is where the gospel starts. Our mourning over our sin. You see, if we mourn over sin, then we know there's a holy God. Then we know there's a God who requires something. And we know that we've offended that God. Now the good thing is, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why? Because of what we sang in my victory. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I've tasted grace. I feel it in my bones. And that's the comfort that we can have. Now, what did Jesus mean? Blessed are those who mourn. When I was a kid, I read this. I thought, well, that just means you're sad when people die. Anyone think that? Well, maybe you do. But then I figured it out. No. I've been sad when people died, and I didn't get comforted. I didn't know if they knew the Lord. Uh, When I was a pastor, I actually only pastored for three years, but I did 27 funerals. Almost burned me out. Uh, Kept asking me to come back for people I didn't even know. And I enjoyed doing that, not enjoyed it. You know what I mean. I, I... presented the gospel Uh, the way I I approached the thing was I said what would this person want us to know now that they're on the other side and with that I was able to preach the gospel to so many people I would have never had the opportunity to preach to but I realized and I was mourning for those people but I wasn't comforted because I didn't know so what Jesus is talking about is mourning now turn to James Chapter uh, 4, and we're going to get an explanation from the brother of the Lord about what this means. And I'm going to read this extended passage, and then we're going to wrap up. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Well, James, that's a really comforting section of scripture, right? But he's honest, isn't he? And if we think about, think about the sin of envy. Ever think about that sin? How we want stuff that's not ours. We want it because somebody else has it. We want something because it looks better to us. Theirs is better. Just think about that one sin of envy and how it permeates. And so he's trying to deal with that and other sins. Now listen, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, listen, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. What does God want? He wants us. He wants to be intimate with us. But sin gets in the way. But he gives more grace. 
Now James gets encouraging. Therefore, uh, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Here's the key. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James is talking about how to be more spiritual, how to find more of God in our lives. And he's saying, draw near to God, but deal with your sin. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now this most interesting verse. Be wretched. Now the other translations I like better. Be miserable. You ever see that verse? Be miserable. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Strange words in a New Testament that is all about joy. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. James says, weep, mourn. We always have to take scripture with scripture, don't we? And we always have to know that there are seasons in our lives. There are cycles to our spirituality. And there are things we have to do at times that other times we don't have to do. And James is calling us to be miserable at times. That's how serious we need to be about our sin. Have you ever been there? Are you there on a regular basis? Every day? This is hard stuff. I'm I'm not going to answer my... uh, Am I there? You know. We don't do it enough, do we? We don't lament. We don't see uh, ourselves as we are. What Tim was talking about two weeks ago and what Mike was talking about. It seemed like all the last six weeks are just flowing into this message and flowing out of it is, let's take another step. Maybe this concept is so foreign to you, you've never even, you know, it's hard to grasp. Well, just go to James 4. Meditate on those verses. Now let's go back to Matthew 5. And if you remember, when our pastors were doing these Beatitudes, they talked about a progression. And I I like that idea. Notice, after you mourn, then you're meek, you're gentle. Then verse 6, you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Verse 7, you're merciful. Verse 8, you're pure in heart. And verse 9, you're a peacemaker. Now, these things aren't automatic. There's a progression. We start with mourning. They don't come automatically. They're not mechanical. They're not magical. But there is a progression here. And what's the foundation that Jesus sets up? It's that we learn to lament. Three takeaways, and then we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to ask you as we sing, and you may not know the words of the song. They'll be up on the board, but you may not know the melody, but you'll catch on. But sing in your heart. But three takeaways before we finish. Lament can lead us into a more serious relationship with God than we already have. Is that what you're looking for? I hope so. Secondly, lament can make us more humble and more sensitive to our weakness and therefore the weaknesses of others. If we truly engage in lamenting, there will be no judging, will there?
there will be no judging because our brothers and sisters are the same as we are, weak and feeble and frail. Now, we're also strong. Be strong in the Lord. I was preparing for this message, and that devil was beating me down. I mean, he was saying, this is not an interesting topic at all. These people are going to be bored. This is like, you know, this is going to go over their heads. No, this is simple, isn't it? And then I quoted to the devil, Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So, you know, it's that tension we have. When we're weak, then we're strong. When we're low, and Jesus says we're high. When we're humble, we'll be exalted. And the last one, lament can lead us into the direction of a great trust and joy in the God that we know and love. When we see the depth of our depravity, we see the magnificence of his grace. His grace is so great. We sang about it in broken vessels. We just take it for granted when we use that word. But if we see the depth of our depravity, we'll see the beauty and the extent of his great grace. Let's sing a song of lament in our hearts. You don't have to stand because we've never sung this before, but these guys are going to do it for us.